Welcome to Exposed, Environmental Echoes and Health, a special edition podcast series produced by the Scientist Creative Services team. This series is brought to you by Van Andel Institute, an independent biomedical research institute devoted to improving human health for generations to come. While the human body cells all use the same set of instructions, they can end up with wildly different features and functions. Beyond the information stored in DNA, factors within a person's environment, including chemicals, microbes, and their diet, change how cells work. In this series, we'll talk to researchers at Van Andel Institute who investigate how the environment and behavior change cellular functions through epigenetic processes and learn how they study past, present, and future influences on human health and disease. Microbes surround us, and they can have surprising effects beyond infection. In this episode, Nikki Spahich from the Scientist Creative Services team spoke with Dr. Nick Burton, an assistant professor of epigenetics at Van Andel Institute, about his work discovering new environmental bacteria in backyards and how exposure to both bad or good bugs can affect an organism's offspring. No two organisms respond the same way to the same environment. Even genetically identical twins vary in their characteristics, including their susceptibility to disease. This suggests that mechanisms beyond instructions in the DNA code drive changes in cellular functions, complicating the understanding of human disorders. In some cases, these epigenetic changes can be inherited, altering subsequent generations. For example, certain species of pea aphids common crop pests, give birth to winged offspring only after experiencing stress, such as overcrowding or poor food quality. These environmental influences result in intergenerational changes that revert to normal after the stresses are removed, which shows that the DNA sequence has not been changed. Elsewhere in the animal kingdom, offspring whose mothers were exposed to pathogens while pregnant can be born with resistance to those infections, suggesting that the stress from infection benefits the next generation. The underlying mechanisms of such changes are outstanding questions that epigeneticists strive to answer, and they have been on Dr. Nick Burton's mind since he was a teenager. I grew up working on a dairy farm, and I liked science, but didn't really see it as a career at the time. When I was 16, we had these high-voltage power lines behind the farm, and they grounded through some phenomena called stray voltage, with this manifested as was electric shocks coming up out of the ground and it would shock us or the cows that touched metal. This level of stress, especially because the cows didn't learn to avoid metal quite as quickly, led to about a quarter of the herd developing mastitis. Because this phenomena was happening at a couple places around the area, they brought out scientists from the University of Wisconsin-Madison. That was my first encounter with scientists. And that was the point where I was like, well, their job looks much more fun than what I'm doing. There was this transition to scientist is a real job, not something you see on TV. When I was on the farm, one of the other major problems with the electric shock was newborns and birthing. There's a lot of parental effects, it's very small births, and I, I still work on parental stress and offspring responses to this day. While working as a laboratory technician, Burton started an adventurous side project studying parental effects on offspring in the nematode C. elegans. This work spun off into a graduate project at MIT, followed by a fellowship at the University of Cambridge. After interacting with two epigeneticists at a conference who were moving to Van Andel Institute, VAI for short, Burton joined them two years later to explore similar questions about parental effects. 
With a community of researchers exploring epigenetics from multiple angles, he continues his C. elegans work to find common mechanisms that explain how environmental stressors affect cellular processes. It became clear to me that the most common stress in all of nature is infection. We're acutely aware of that at this time, coming out of a pandemic. If your mom is infected with some specific pathogen, it makes sense that you want to be ready to deal with that at birth. I work on this model animal, which is a worm, because it's very easy to identify mechanisms when you don't know a lot about what's going on. Nematodes are the most abundant animal on Earth. They both eat bacteria and could be infected by them. They're microscopic and you can grow millions of them. They're easily sterilizable and grown in only the presence of one bacteria. So that makes them quite easy to study from a host microbe standpoint. They also have this well-established technique called mutagenesis screening, where you can grow lots of different mutant animals and see when you break certain genes, which ones matter for a specific process. To study the effects of bacterial infection on offspring, Burton turned into a microbe hunter digging in C. elegans' natural soil habitat and collecting their bacterial neighbors. Because these bacteria live with the worms, the nematodes may have evolved mechanisms in response to infection stress. Once in the laboratory, Burton had the C. elegans grow and reproduce on beds of the isolated bacteria, which they eat and potentially get infected by. He then removed any offspring and challenged them to survive while living on the same bacterial species asking if they are healthier than offspring whose mothers were not exposed. While the nematodes from unexposed mothers succumbed to their infections, Burton saw a 50-fold increase in survival in the ones whose parents were infected, which suggests that parental stress triggered a survival adaptation in the progeny, although the effect did not persist beyond the first generation. That was quite exciting. There was this really robust adaptation. When you have something that robust, you can start to ask, how is this happening? The other project that I work on stemmed from this ability to do genetic screens. I worked a lot on insulin signaling, one of the mechanistic pathways that's involved with diabetes, but also the risk for many different diseases, ranging from Alzheimer's to cancer. It's intimately involved in human health. It exists in all animals. Insulin signaling in invertebrates, it's involved in growth and all sorts of other things. In invertebrates, insulin being an ancient pathway is hooked up not only to growth and development and metabolism, but also to pathogen responses. Insulin signaling controls the expression of antimicrobial peptides in invertebrates. I thought there must exist bacteria that want animals to turn on insulin signaling so that they don't turn on antimicrobial peptides. And they might have pathways and mechanisms that ramp it up. Those pathways might be exploitable to turn on insulin signaling in humans. That sounds like this huge stretch, but we use a bunch of bacterial mechanisms that have evolved for different reasons in nature as human drugs. Antibiotics don't exist to cure human disease. We've adapted them to treat human disease. These pathways are really well conserved so we can adapt mechanisms bacteria use to treat disease. And I wanted to do that for insulin, but we've had no way to find such bacteria. To study this, Burton built a C. elegans model of type A insulin resistance, a condition that leads to diabetes in humans and isolated thousands of soil bacteria to find one that cured the condition. After exposing the worms to individual bacterial species, he found some that seemed to reverse the insulin resistance. By understanding the mechanisms behind the bacteria's effects on the worms, Burton hopes to adapt and test them in mammalian models, ultimately for the benefit of humans. 
This experiment has led to a new initiative to discover more microbes in the environment that benefit their hosts through epigenetic mechanisms. While studying the positive changes some bacteria, beneficial or pathogenic, temporarily impart, Burton is also exploring deleterious trade-offs, such as intolerance to solid exposure and how epigenetics facilitates that balance. Any adaptation, if it had no cost whatsoever, you wouldn't use epigenetics to do it. You'd want to integrate it into your genome. If you were only healthier, you wouldn't want it to be inducible and go away. You'd want it to permanently be that state. Where I think epigenetics comes into play as a mechanism for this is cases where you really want to adapt to specific stress, but it does have costs. If your mom is infected with a very significant pathogen that is a threat to your life, you might be willing to really bet that you're going to see that pathogen. One of the big costs for worms is that if this adaptation to pathogen comes at the expense of salt stress, those two things seem to antagonize each other. Maybe you adapt to one thing, but it comes at the expense of an environment that you hope you don't see. And I think that's one of the reasons that you see these things get induced. They can last one generation, but if the stress goes away, you also want to erase that. You go back to a base state. Burton is hot on the trail of the epigenetic mechanism that leads to offspring responding positively to maternal infection. Many people aware of epigenetic changes associate them with alteration of DNA and chromatin directly. However, Burton thinks the mechanism may operate through mitochondria and changes in metabolism that help offspring adapt to familiar stresses. Because mitochondria are inherited through the mother, this also helps explain why he sees maternal rather than paternal effects. Burton's current environment at VAI supports this fusion of epigenetics with metabolism, helping him delve further into this research area. One of the nice things about being here at VAI is that we have an epigenetics department and a metabolism and nutritional programming department. My work is right in between those two. It, all of these intergenerational effects that I'm seeing are adaptations that are metabolic changes. It's also really nice to be at a place that has no real barriers between departments. You can sort of take on many different aspects of a big question all at once. And VAI is very generous with resources and the four facilities. Uh, that whole project where we found a new microbe that could cure this model of type A insulin resistance in a, in a worm, that's a project that I don't know that I have the resources to take on if I'm not here. VAI took a risk and provided the resources to go after it. The core facilities, which are run by real experts in these advanced scientific techniques, we've been able to do multiple different things at once with the help of these highly trained, specialized people here. And that's been a huge help in moving the science forward. By understanding exactly how these intergenerational effects influence an organism's physiology, Burton hopes to help people become healthier. With more information, individuals could tailor their environment or lifestyle in ways that changes their metabolism to help themselves and their offspring. Additionally, Burton's micro-punting could result in more direct disease treatments. Our goal is to develop something we can feed to an animal that treats a model of insulin resistance, establish a mechanism that we can directly use to treat pathology that affects about 1 in 10 American adults. Thank you for listening to Exposed, Environmental Echoes in Health. And thanks to Nick Burton, Assistant Professor of Epigenetics at VAI. In the next episode of this series, we'll talk with Dr. Heidi Lamprattle about how diet influences the health of future generations. To keep up to date with this podcast, follow The Scientist on Facebook and Twitter, 
and subscribe to the Scientist Lab Talk wherever you get your podcasts.